Hey everyone, welcome to episode 12 of the True Crime Couple Podcast. I'm Kay. And I'm John. We just want to remind everyone, we kind of sent it out over our social media, but in the month of October, we kind of want to do a listener story episode. Uh, Whether you have a paranormal story or a kind of true crime story, we'd really like to hear it. So we'd love for you to send those stories to our email address, which is thetruecrimecouple at gmail.com. And any story you have, please send it. We really appreciate it. Yeah, we want to get a few of these all together. Uh, That way we can put a really nice episode together for everyone. So if you can send us all your stories at our email, that would be fantastic. Right. And like always, please be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're the True Crime Couple Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. You could also visit our website at truecrimecouple.com where we kind of put every episode up as a blog post and we really encourage you guys to comment on that and we can start a discussion on there as well. Also, if you're interested, you could donate to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash truecrimecouple. We're actually putting our first Patreon episode up today, and that's going to be on the Winchester Mystery House. So we really, really enjoyed doing that episode, and we can't wait for you to hear it. Um, Donations at any level will give, give you access to that. So jump on over to Patreon and please donate some money. We would really, really appreciate it. And there's going to be more to come, guys, especially in the month of October. We're going to put a lot of things up there, something a little different for everyone. So hope it uh, tickles your fancy. (laughs) Okay, so let's get into episode 12. It is every parent's nightmare to discover that their child is missing. One comfort during this time of desperation is the gathering of friends and family that rush to the side of these parents to help them search and cope with the tragedy. This is going to be the case in Star City, West Virginia, when 16-year-old Skylar Niece will disappear from her family's apartment complex in July of 2012. In this episode, we will discuss the disappearance, the investigation, the trial, and the role social media played in all three. Police say the suspect, 31-year-old Jeffrey Dahmer, has confessed to the killings of 11 people whose remains were found in his apartment. We are all evil in some form or another, are we not? Lock your doors, lock your windows. If you have the ability to provide additional security devices, then by all means do so. Skylar Niece disappeared at 16 years old. She was described by her parents to be a vibrant and loving girl. Usually at a time when children tend to push their parents away, Skylar still considered her parents to be her closest confidants. She made sure each day she told them she loved them before she or they left the house. This was the case on July 5th, 2012. Skylar got home from finishing her shift at the local Wendy's, and she told her mother that she was tired and she was going to go to bed. I love yous were exchanged, and Skylar went into her bedroom. The next day, Skylar's stepfather, Dave, came home from his lunch hour during his night shift job. In order to share the car, usually Dave would come home during his lunch so Skylar could drive him back to work and then she could take the car to work for herself later on. When Dave went to Skylar's door to wake her up, he found that the door was locked. And this is something that was unusual. He assumed she was still sleeping, so he continued to knock and call her name and try to wake her up. When this didn't work, he got concerned and opened the locked door using a clothes hanger. When he entered Skylar's room, he discovered she was not there. 
The bed was still made and unslept in. Dave panicked and called his wife, Mary. Mary assures him that Skylar will be back and maybe she went out to spend time with friends like she usually did. She said she'll come home, however, because she sounds she knew how distressed Dave sounded on the phone. Both parents will call out of work for the rest of the day. Mary asked Dave to call Skylar's best friends and ask them if they knew where she is. He immediately calls Skylar's best friend, Sheila Eddy, and asks her if she knows where Skylar is. Sheila tells Dave the last time she talked to her was around midnight the night before and didn't know where she would be. Dave, waiting for Mary outside the apartment complex, was smoking just outside their apartment windows. He notices that under Skylar's window, there's a small black bench, and the screen to her window had been pushed open. It was apparent that she had snuck out. Unfortunately, this is something that Skylar had the habit of doing lately. Skylar and her two best friends actually had been known to sneak out in the middle of the night and go to parties or drive to a woodsy area where they would drink beer and smoke pot until they decided to return home. At this point, the parents decided that they would wait until Skylar was due at work. Skylar never missed work, even if she was sick, so they believed that maybe if she went out, ended up staying out late, that she would still show up at work. Skylar was due at work at 4 p.m., And just before Dave and Mary were going to call the Wendy's, they got a phone call from Wendy's. And they asked if Skylar was going to come to work that day because it was very unusual that she didn't show up at least a few minutes early for her shift. It is now that the worried parents are going to call the police. The Star City Police Force flies into action to look into the disappearance of this teen. They arrive at the niece household and search the bedroom of the young girl. In the bedroom, they find Skylar's phone charger and her overnight belongings, such as her makeup bag. And if you know teenage girls, they would never leave the house without their phone charger or their makeup bag. (laughs) So police are going to ask what's going on in Skylar's life. Her parents responded that Skylar worked many shifts at Wendy's and that she was a very social girl. She was inseparable from her two best friends. Her oldest friend was Sheila Eddy, whom she had known since she was eight years old. The two lived in separate towns, but because of a relocation of the Eddie family, Sheila was able to attend the same high school, University High School, as Skylar. The two girls could not be happier. Later that school year, a red-haired aspiring actress-singer is going to move to town. She's in the same grade as the two girls. Her name is Rachel Schaff. Rachel's immediately drawn to the two best friends, and the three become attached at the hip. As Skylar's parents were explaining the social life of their daughter, they receive a phone call from Sheila. She tells Mary that she had lied to her and that, in fact, they had all snuck out the night before. And Skylar insisted that when they got close to the apartment complex, they drop her off a block away from the house. And this was around 1145. She wanted to be dropped off about a block away from the house because she wanted to walk back to the apartment complex, not have car lights wake up her parents, and possibly get caught sneaking back in. So she said she would come over and talk to police about what had happened. Mary and Dave were scared now. What had happened to Skylar from the time she was dropped off at the end of the block to before she got home to the apartment complex? So now they're worried, did she get hit by a car? Was she abducted? Something must have happened to her, because we're talking about 11.45 at night. That's when Sheila said she dropped her off at the end of the block so something must have happened to her in between right and i just want to say quickly 
I know in previous episodes, guys, you know, I kind of go off about the police sometimes and their mistakes or the fact that they don't, you know, jump into action right away. And I want to say, Star City, I really just want to shake everybody's hand there because, as you know, if there's a teenager missing, they always write it off as, oh, they're just going to go party. They're just going to go do this. They'll be back. No need for alarm or whatever. Especially a girl who's known to party right exactly and the fact that they didn't do that yeah they really they really went there they they started you know investigating and i just want to say that that makes me so happy to know that that at least there's one police department in this (laughs) in the united states that really will actually do that and jump into action here yeah i have to say when we talk about this whole investigation you know we get into star city police force we also get into the west virginia police force and later on which you'll know later, the Pennsylvania State Police have to get involved as well. And there's a really good working environment between these like three jurisdictions that are going to get together and they're really going to communicate well and they're going to work with each other. And it's really just like hats off to you guys. What an amazing investigative job this is. It's definitely not like Josephine County. (laughs) No, this is no Josephine County. (laughs) So the police of Star City did an excellent job, as we said, investigating this crime. They treated this as a disappearance versus a runaway from the very beginning. And when Sheila arrives at the scene, the police question her and ask her again and again, are you sure that that's the time you picked up Skylar? And are you sure that you really dropped her off at 1145? And Sheila swears that this is the case. And they really 100% believe Sheila because it does seem like she's being honest. She's saying, okay picked up my friend i'm underage we were drinking we were smoking pot and we were driving around so it does seem like she's being pretty candid with them right so she says that the girls were driving around kind of like backwoods areas they stopped in this wooded area where they usually smoke pot and then when they got bored they decided it was time to go home so that's the story of sheila but sheila doesn't know what happened to skylar after she dropped her off at the end of the block Remembering that the complex had surveillance cameras, Mary is going to tell police that they could possibly have caught something on the recording after the time that Skylar was dropped off by her two friends. So Mary, Dave, Sheila, and the police are going to all watch the surveillance tapes together. And the surveillance tapes are going to catch a car at 12.30 a.m. The car is a light-colored sedan, and it's going to pull up behind the apartment building in which Skylar lived. And they asked Sheila if this was her car, and she said no. She said that when she had arrived to pick up Skylar, she didn't park there in the back of the building. She parked in front of the building by where the mailboxes were, like she always did. Now, Mary and Dave are going to attest to this. And if she's parking by the mailboxes, that's also a reason why Skylar would say, no, drop me off at the end of the block. I don't want your headlights shining in the windows. So police are really following this. And as they continued to watch the video, they saw Skylar run towards the car and get into the back seat. So now the police believe the storyline is Skylar is going to go out with her friends from 11 to 1145. And then someone else is going to pick her up at 12.30 a.m. And they parked in the back of the building. Now, Skylar runs towards this car and she gets in the back seat. So that's going to imply two things. She knows the people that she's running towards and she knows there's two people in the car or else she wouldn't just get in the back seat so quickly. Right. I mean, who who in their right mind just goes to the back seat like a taxi? Right. 
So Sheila was steadfast in saying that she did not know who this is, and Skylar never told her that she had left the house again after they had dropped her off. Police wanted to talk to Rachel, the other girl that was with them, the third member of their three musketeers. But Rachel was at church camp, and her parents are going to inform her that they didn't have a phone at sleepaway camp, and because they were doing the active investigation, they didn't pull Rachel out of this church camp, and they decided they would talk to her after she returned back. Police said as soon as she came home that Rachel was to go to the police station to talk with them. They continued their investigation by searching other surveillance cameras in the area surrounding the apartment complex. Because here's the problem. The car was captured on the surveillance cameras of the apartment complex, but it was so grainy that they couldn't even get a make and model out of the car, let alone a license plate. So they figured that if they start searching surveillance cameras of the streets around the apartment complex, the car had to have passed one of them. And they did find the same light-colored sedan driving on a highway, going towards and leaving the complex in times that correlate with the pickup. And they were able to find this on a surveillance cameras of a Sheets convenience store, and their cameras faced the highway. So they saw the car leave and come back in the amount of time it would have taken to pick up Skylar but they weren't able to get license plates. They could just more clearly see the make and model of the car. So they could rule certain models out and it made it just a little bit easier. Yeah, the video was definitely clearer than the apartment complex's camera. Yes, you could more let, you could see the car more. Whereas yeah. in the apartment complex, especially because it was so dark in the back of the building, here we have a lit highway. So there's more light too. So this was gonna help them uh, narrow down their search when they find a possible suspect. But during this time, rumors are going to spread that Skylar had a boyfriend. Police theorized that maybe she went to see a boyfriend that night. They asked the teenagers at the high school, Skylar's two best friends, and her parents what guys Skylar had in her life. Two names keep popping up, and that was the Conway brothers, Dylan and Derek. These two boys lived in nearby Blacksville, where Sheila had originally lived until she moved to Star City. Sheila actually had dated Dylan, according to social media profiles. Now, these two brothers were questionable characters, to say the least. Not the kind of guys I'd want hanging around my teenage daughter. It's kind of the people that your father threatens to take the shotgun out on. Yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah, definitely. They, kind of more than that, because I don't know if this is normal behavior, teenage boys. No, it's not, but I'm just saying. They were... (laughs) Every parent's worst nightmare is also these two boys. They were persons of interest in a recent bank robbery. Yeah, that's not small town. (laughs) And it was clear from their Facebook pages that they liked to party. So a lot of parties went on at their house. And these weren't just casual parties. These were parties that involved pills, heroin, I mean, the pot drinking. I mean, that's... The pot and the drinking is normal for a high school party, but I would say heroin and prescription pills are a little little heavy it's a little over the top yeah a little too crazy and um it was very apparent that these two brothers liked giving these drugs drugs to underage girls well of course so all the girls in the surrounding areas knew that if they went to the conway's house for a party that they could kind of do drugs for free but there were some implications involved if you know what i mean yeah yeah 
So it was known that the three best friends often went to the house to party, especially because at one point Sheila was dating Dylan, the younger of the two brothers. The boys did not have a light modeled car, but they did say that there were a lot of parties in Blacksville the night of the disappearance, but not at their house. I mean, kind of what they said to cops because the cops were asking more questions about Skylar. They really weren't concerned about the bank robbery. So the brothers are going to kind of imply to them like, we're kind of laying low because there's that whole bank robbery thing going on. So we didn't have party that night, which (laughs) makes sense. Yeah. I mean, maybe they have a little bit of common sense. It seemed that the brothers were kind of a dead end. So they maybe are going to start working on the idea that Skylar was picked up by someone and went to a different party in the Blacksville area. So police are going to canvas the area and this is, it takes a lot of time and it's surprising that they're going to go through all of this effort. Um, Police canvas the Blacksville area, all surrounding areas and in Star City and every light modeled car that they're going to see, they're going to run the license plate. Yeah, they actually go out on an unmarked car and actually snap photos of these cars that are in that are alike as that that were seen on the video cameras. Correct. And then they cross-reference them with anyone Skylar might know or might have been associated with. And that takes a lot of time, a lot of effort, and yeah, a lot, a lot of, money. of manpower. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, during this time, Mary and Dave were actively pleading for the return of their only child. Posters lined the streets of Star City and nearby communities. Dave is also going to create a Facebook page in order to reach out to local media and get Skylar's story out there, and soon it becomes international news. There is a call that someone who matches the appearance of Skylar has been spotted with a red-haired girl in North Carolina about 600 miles away. So Dave and Mary are going to get really excited about this as our police because now they think, oh, maybe Rachel ditched church camp picked up Skylar, and the two of them just, like, went to the beach. So people get really excited about this, and they think it's the big break. So Mary and Dave are going to pack up all their things, go to North Carolina. But unfortunately, this is a false alarm. It it was two runaways, but it wasn't Rachel and Skylar. And this is going to be very hard on the niece family and them realizing that that wasn't Skylar. Because I feel like, you know, it gives family hope that, you know, that she indeed did run away and is not missing. I mean, it still sucks, but I mean, at least they know that, okay, she's definitely alive. She's there. She's just, you know, she's there. Exactly. Now, this whole time, Sheila is going to be very active in the investigation. And she would come over to the niece household almost daily, crying with Mary and Dave, asking why Skylar would leave them like this. The only thing the three could do was to support each other. But Skylar's cousin Kyle, who lives in the area, as well as the classmates of the three girls, are going to have a little bit of a different opinion on the situation. And the dark world that the three girls had been living in is going to slowly be exposed through high school rumors and social media posts to the police. And the police are going to start to kind of realize what's going on here. Scandal. Yeah. So, in his own words, Kyle kind of claims that Sheila is is a bad seed, okay? And this is gonna happen and more people are gonna get this opinion. After her parents' divorce, Sheila is going to have a new stepfather. And this new stepfather has a very well-paying job. 
So for the first time in her life, Sheila has a lot of money. They go on vacation. She gets expensive clothes. She's able to get her hair done, get a lot of makeup. And they said that this is going to kind of change her personality, especially um, at such an influential time in, in a girl's life, her teenage years. And the older she got, she realized that she was getting a lot of attention from boys. And she is going to begin to use her sexuality to get what she wanted. So she's going to begin to party, do drugs, and she's going to get most of this stuff for free because she's going to use her sexuality to get what she wants. But it's also her attitude too, because it's not just her physical appearance. It's, it, she comes, she's very like, comes off very hard. Right. And it's going to be very apparent through her Twitter, what she posts on her, on her Twitter page. And after we get through the whole case, we're going to kind of go through the social media sites of the three girls and what you, it's shocking what you find. And I I will say this too. I mean, I think this case is like a prime example of like how we're evolving as a culture because social media plays a, a humongous role in this case. It does. I mean, more than I've seen in a long time. So uh, anybody like anybody listen to us right now, once you hear everything, you're going to be blown away. And social media really does play a, a, a big part. It's of true. Now, many people are going to say that Sheila is going to... Whoa, calm down, John. You're making I'm sorry, sounds. I'm very thirsty. Um, Sheila is going to bring her two friends along for this ride. So Rachel and Skylar don't necessarily feel and act the same way Sheila does, but they kind of feel like they have to impress her. Now, usually with groups of friends in high school, you always see this. There's always going to be that one alpha in the group. Oh, yeah, definitely. And that definitely seems to be Sheila in this situation. So both Skylar and Rachel's friends are going to comment that once the group of three got together, they stopped hanging out with the two girls because of their behavior. They stated that Sheila was controlling and very mean. And this is something that only brought the girls closer together. They kind of, there was a kind of dependency that was going to develop between the three girls because it was like them against the world is how they saw it. Yeah. This tight friendship, though, is going to be tested during a sleepover in the summer of 2011. Skylar had awoken to Rachel and Sheila having sex with each other after a night of drinking. Ooh. Yeah. Experimenting. This, yeah. this is not... <laughs> like my high school experience whatsoever <laughs> i was the president of the book club <laughs> oh my God. no that is not you at all okay. skylar began arguing with sheila asking her what she was doing and a rift is going to grow between the two girls as skylar and sheila grew apart sheila and rachel grew closer boxing skylar out So usually this is something that happens within groups, especially groups of girls, is that there's always going to be the odd man out. And that person who's the odd man out is always going to try and get back within the circle. And that's definitely what we see happening here with Rachel, Sheila, and Skylar. Whereas it used to be Sheila and Skylar who were super tight because they had known each other for longer. Now this newcomer Rachel is going to come into the picture, get closer with Sheila because she kind of does more daring things. Now all of a sudden Skylar's kicked out. Right. And that's going to happen especially because the sexual activity of Rachel and Sheila with their boyfriends is also going to isolate Skylar. Because Skylar wasn't sexually active 
And the two girls made her feel really immature for this. So they're going to make her feel like she's a baby, like she's not as cool as them. So she's going to feel like she's constantly trying to like live up to something, Skylar. Which is sad. So sad. Because as a parent, I'm sure, like you want to just preserve innocence in your child. But now she has a group of friends that's trying to break her of that innocence. And that's that's an internal struggle for your child. And Oh, definitely. That's hard. It makes, makes everything a lot harder than it has to be. Oh, yeah. So they view Skylar as more of like an annoying little sister that had to tag along rather than a friend that they were having fun with. However, this also meant that Skylar, even though she wasn't participating in some of the stuff that was going on, she still knew all the secrets the girls had. And this was a particular point of contention with Rachel, who lived in a very, very religious family. So even though Skylar wasn't participating in any of this stuff, she still knew the secrets, so she could tell on them at any moment. So it was, it was kind of like a fine line they were all walking down with each other. Skylar is going to hint to this on Twitter. Ooh. Yeah. On September 6, 2011, she is going to tweet, I'd tell the whole school all the shit I have on everyone, which is a lot. I say it like that because she put a lot of T's in there. Hashtag if I could get away with it. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean... To be fair, the context of this tweet is there was something going around if I could get away with it. So everyone was tweeting, what would you do if you could get away with it? And that was her response. She'd tell the whole school all the shit I have on everyone, which is a lot. It's so weird how high school, like, all these weird fucking things happen. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I was in school, the big thing was, like, the penis challenge and, like, who right. can scream penis the loudest. Like, I guess things Unfortunately, have Unfortunately, as a teacher, I can tell you that's still a thing and it's very oh my annoying. God. Anyway. Well, after this tweet, there were implications out there that Skylar might be blackmailing or threatening the two girls. So, during this time, the two girls begin having conversations, which were overheard at school, on how to get rid of a dead body. In particular, Skylar's. Oh, my God. Yeah. Teachers are going to ignore this conversation because it wasn't strange. There was a lot of conversations going around about um, dead bodies because during that month, October of 2011, there was actually a dead body found behind the school. Which is weird in itself. Which is weird within itself, yeah. Yeah, wow. It That's was, crazy. It, yeah, it was like a homeless man who was like living like in, the wo- in that wooded area. So it wasn't like directly behind the school, but in the woods by the school. Okay. So when other students told Skylar what they had heard, she said it's nothing but just a joke that that the two girls have, which is sad. I mean, I feel like Skylar is living out a very lonely life because it sounded like it was the three of them against the world, but now it's her against the two of them. So now I'm sure she feels completely isolated. Right. And this goes into the whole, now she's probably going to do whatever it takes to kind of either get Get back back. in their good graces or just kind of stay above water. Correct. Yeah. And this is going to get worse because Sheila and Rachel go to the extent of even dressing like each other and not telling Skylar what to wear that day. So like she was the one left out again. And it sounds stupid to us, but remember in high school when something like that consumed you and was like, bothered you so much it was definitely like a make or break thing yes they were messing with her psychologically oh yeah yeah and they also are going to begin to fight with skylar over over social media 
And a lot of those tweets had been deleted. So we don't have access to them or what was said, but there were words exchanged on social media. This is going to escalate the following year when Sheila and Skylar are going to go away together with their families to Myrtle Beach in June of 2012. So this is a year later. The fighting has gone on for a really long time. Skylar's felt this way for almost a year at this point. They spent the entire week fighting with each other. Apparently, when they got home, Sheila is going to tell Rachel that she must die. Wow. Yeah. Now, I know that may sound strange, like Skylar's going to remain friends with them throughout all of this, but unfortunately, the viciousness of teenage girls, especially over social media, is commonplace in high schools today. Uh, We can attribute this to Skylar wanting to feel accepted and let in again by her former best friends. She's also feeling isolated because people don't want to hang out with her because she's friends with Sheila and Rachel, but now Sheila and Rachel don't want to be friends with her. And I will tell you as, you know, a high school teacher, this is something that I see on a regular basis where girls are so vicious. And not just girls, I'll say everyone in high school is so vicious on social media. They say the most outrageous things about each other. And As someone who grew up not in the world of social media, I mean, like MySpace was around when I was in high school, but MySpace was kind of different because, I mean, a little bit creepier because you wanted to talk to people that weren't from your town. But whereas now like social media, like Facebook, Twitter, well, Facebook isn't a thing for high school kids anymore. It's they're too cool. (laughs) But like Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Snapchat. they are so mean to each other and they attack each other. But then they see each other in school the next day and they just walk right by each other like nothing happened. And it's the strangest thing. Like, I just, I don't know, because I I didn't have that when I was in high school, but it's a very um, weird world that teenagers are living in with social media these days. And you have to understand, imagine, you know... uh, Let's say someone's 10 years removed from high school or 15 years removed from high school. Could you imagine someone that's an actual parent, maybe a little older? How does someone even relate? You can't relate. Because it's such a different time. Like, social media has done great things, but it's also done a lot of fucked up shit, too. Where, you know, the culture has definitely changed, like I said earlier. Yeah. So it's very hard for an older person to relate to a young kid in high school. It's even changing constantly where, like, you think you know everything that's going on with social media. And then you hear something so insane that you're like, what? That exists? Like, there's something now on Instagram where everyone has all all the kids in high school. They have their normal Instagram accounts where they, you know, post their normal stuff, whatever, selfies, pictures with their friends. But then they have something called a Finsta, which is their... Now, the younger listeners are probably, like, laughing at me because I'm, like, yeah. talking about <laughs> this like this. But it's a fake Instagram page where they post things that they really want to say or they really want to do. And it, like, kind of gives them the outlet to post, like, kind of like sexual pictures about themselves or talk shit about someone that they wouldn't normally do but they're allowed to do it because it's their finsta yeah and like it's so weird to me like i can't like it like makes your jaw drop like what the hell think about 
picking up your phone, which they, they do constantly, and having to worry about what's on Twitter, what's on Snapchat, what's on Instagram, what's on someone's Finsta, and like... Group chats. Group chat. Like, this is like crazy what our it's teenagers have. It it's is. It's overload. It really is. So this is kind of the situation that Skylar was dealing with in her isolation. And police are going to understand kind of what's going on here. And they're very anxious to speak to Rachel about the events of that night. So once she comes home from church camp, she's going to be questioned by police. And it's really interesting, in fact, because once she got home, Rachel was supposed to go to the police station, but she didn't. So the detective is going to go to Rachel's house and she says, okay, I'll come to the police station later that day. And the detective noticed a cut on Rachel's ankle and Rachel didn't show up again. So then finally they arrange a face-to-face meeting. And when they finally get Rachel at a police station... And they get her in a room with her mother there. So her mother was present. She's going to be very nervous. And she stated that she had no idea that Skylar was missing because the day before she left for church camp on the 7th, the 6th, she was out all day on a boat on a lake with her family. So they ask her, okay, we know you snuck out with Sheila and Skylar. So tell us the story about what happened. So Sheila and Rachel are going to have two completely different stories that of what went on that night. Rachel said they drove around main roads all night, while Sheila said they drove around and went to a secluded area, taking only back roads. So when this was brought up to brought to Rachel's attention, she panicked. They said she turned completely white, her eyes were all bugged out, and she said actually she didn't remember anything because she was too high. Now, what I think is really funny, um, I don't want to skip ahead, I don't believe I am, but I just want to say this, it's kind of, once again, I love what the detective here did, because he's so fucking smart. This was actually a, a female. Uh, yes, so what she did was, hey, I don't care, professional, professional, you know, anyway, um, so the female detective took the one kid and made them say okay well what route did you take to get to the main road like what was your route you know had you guys go whatever and she had one story one path that they drove on to kind of get a feel for like where where Skylar could have you know wound up you know and then another police officer took the other child another way and they were saying oh well this is how we took so both of their paths were completely different so their stories aren't the same and that's exactly how you know that these kids are fucking lying. Right. And what they're going to do to completely scare Rachel, because she seems to be the one who's nervous. Sheila doesn't seem to be as nervous as Rachel. And what she's going to do... <laughs> just so you know, guys, I just took a... I have to... I'm so sorry. This was like this right now. But, guys, I, I have a drink here. Just normal lemonade. And I... Uh, you know, I drank mine, and I was like, oh, shit, you know, I'm really thirsty, you know, um, because I don't shut the fuck up. I need more something to drink, you know? So I go over to Kay's glass, and I'm like, oh, it looks like strawberry lemonade. Let me go grab it. <laughs> well, it's indeed strawberry lemonade with a little hint of alcohol, and it just shocked me so bad. Um, it shocked me so bad just now because I was not expecting that. Sorry, John. All right. Anyway. <laughs> I want it, you know, just nice. You don't have to clone yourself. A little That's relaxation okay. Saturday afternoon. Not a problem. Go ahead. Continue. Okay. Now I lost my spot. Okay. So what the detectives are going to do is they're going to tell Rachel 
we can look at all these surveillance cameras. So we know if what you're saying is true versus what Sheila's saying, because now you're saying you were on main roads. You told us what route you went on. So now we have camera footage of the car. Right, because they would be spotted no matter what. Right, and this is going to scare Rachel so bad. Yeah. And this is when things are going to start to snowball. So the girls are now under complete suspicion. And everything's going to fall together pretty quickly after this. They no longer take it as coincidence that Sheila has a light model Toyota Camry. Interesting, right? Unbelievable. The whole time we've been looking for a light model sedan, they've been saying, okay, well... Sheila, we know Sheila didn't do it. She's she's being honest with us about this story from 11 to 11.45. So it was just kind of a coincidence. But now they're like, not really a coincidence because Sheila's lying to us. So they checked the cell phone records of the two girls and noticed that there was so much activity between them around 4 a.m. Hmm. So like something weird's going on here. Another thing called into question is the bizarre behavior of Sheila on social media particularly Twitter during this time. Classmates at the high school know what's going on, and they know that these two girls are suspected of doing something to Skylar. Now, at this point, school has begun. School's going to begin in August of 2012, so only two months after the disappearance. At this time, Sheila and Rachel are going to be under suspicion. So the kids at the school, obviously knowing who these two girls really are, are going to go in on them on social media. And they harass them like crazy. They create fake accounts. They lash out on the girls. Um, anytime Sheila tries to post something in, about being upset that Skylar's dead, kind of like a rest in peace thing, they're going to say, well, she's dead because you killed her. And the two girls lash out. Um, there's one particular tweet where Sheila's going to say, mess with me and Rachel, and you don't know what you're in for. Wow. Yeah. Um, what we're going to do later is we're going to actually read the two accounts of the girls, and we'll read you tweets that Sheila is going to um, put out even days after Skylar has just gone missing. Warrants are also going to be issued to get the exact conversation between the two girls, as well as the checking of all surveillance footage to question the stories put forth by them. During this time, Sheila seems to be holding up pretty well. But Rachel, on the other hand, has her behavior has grown increasingly bizarre, and her mother was really concerned about her. So she is going to check her into a psychiatric facility in December of 2012. Six days later, after she voluntarily leaves, she's going to go right to the police station and tell her story. So this is now when we find out what really happened to Skylar Niece on the evening of July 5th, 2012. Late in the evening of July 5th, 2012, they convinced Skylar to sneak out with them. Skylar was initially hesitant. They had called and texted her several times to try and get her to come out. And eventually she did. At approximately 1230, Skylar got into Sheila's car. The three girls then headed north from Star City via Route 19. They had planned to travel along U.S. Route 7, but turned around after spotting a state police car parked in front of a gambling lounge. They wound up taking an alternate route through Blacksville. And this is going to account for the... They, police were wondering why there was a lot of cell phone activity around Blacksville, and that's because the two girls that were in the car together were kind of having a conversation back and forth about what was going to happen. That's insane. Yeah. 
They eventually arrived at their destination just across the state border in Pennsylvania, a spot where all three girls would occasionally smoke pot. Apparently, the two girls had been planning the murder since September of 2011. And that makes sense if you think about it, because that when Skylar found the two girls having sex the summer before. So it makes sense that September is when this conflict began. They left Sheila's house prepared to carry out the assault on Skylar. And this is where premeditation fully goes into effect. They brought in they brought with them kitchen knives, paper towels, bleach, cleaning clothes, clean clothes, and a shovel. They concealed the knives on their persons. They had put them in their like hoodie sweatshirts. And they hid the remaining items in the trunk of Sheila's vehicle. Once the girls were out of the vehicle, they told Skylar they had forgotten to bring a lighter. So Skylar is going to volunteer to go back to the car to get hers. And once she had turned her back on the two best friends, they began counting to their agreed upon signal of three. So they were saying one, two, three. And on three, they were supposed to start stabbing. Once they gave a signal, they began to stab Skylar. She attempted to run, but was only to make it about a few feet before Rachel is going to tackle her to the ground and continue with the assault. During the attack, Skylar managed to wrestle Rachel's knife away from her and cut her in an attempt to defend herself, and that's the cut that police had saw. Sheila continued to stab Skylar until there was complete silence, and in her words, that's when Skylar's neck stopped making gurgling sounds. Skylar Neese had died from over 50 stab wounds. Now, at that point, it was hard for um, it to be shown on the autopsy how many stab wounds there really were, because a lot of them were repeat wounds. But we know from Sheila's account, she said she stopped counting after 50. And that doesn't account for Rachel's stabs. After Rachel does get uh, cut by the knife from Skylar, she stops the attack, but Sheila continues hers. Afterwards, Rachel and Sheila attempt to bury their friend's body. The girls dragged the body to the side of the road that ran along the creek. However, the soil there was too hard and rocky for them to dig like they had originally planned, so they covered Skylar's body with rocks, fallen branches, and dirt. They then returned to the car to clean themselves off and clean up the murder scene. Upon completion of the attack and the cleanup, they left the scene disposed of their blood-soaked clothing, and returned to their homes. When the police asked Rachel why they did this, she just said, we didn't like her. I can't believe it. Insane. It's insane. So Sheila, who had been comforting Mary and Dave, was really the one who killed their daughter. Also, I'm just, I don't mean to call you out, but you did miss something. What did I miss? um, As she, as Skylar was being stabbed... During, during I guess, the first initial couple of stabs, she was pleading to them and asking, why? Why are you doing this to me? And they just never gave her an answer. Which is even a little bit, makes this a little more haunting for me. Because it's like, you're calling out, like, like basically to stop. Like, why are you doing this to me? Right. And they just continue to stab her and brutally murder her. And I'm so glad that these two idiots... Well, hold on. Let's... They're not officially going to be charged with anything until um, right around, like, March, April of 2013. 
Well, I'm just going to say, I'm just glad these two idiots, like, have to live with this forever. Because it's just so sad. It's just so sad that you can take someone's life and, like, not even care. Even though there are times in the beginning where you do sense, like, this, um... Like, feeling guilty. Like, they were feeling guilty. That's why they were going to the parents to console them and have them console her. And visiting her and her uh, going into Skylar's room and spending some time there. So there was, like, brief moments of remorse. But at the end of the day, you have to be one fucked up individual to take your friend's life and just not give a fuck. And it's just so disgusting. Right. No, I completely agree with that. Okay, so... um What we want to do right now is kind of just explain to you what was happening and what the feelings were. The people from the high school that Sheila went to, police, they were seeing all these tweets that were coming from her. And I think in order to understand a little bit about Sheila's mindset and who she is as a person, reading her tweets and thinking about the time period that it's coming from is very interesting. Right before the murders on July 1st, there's going to be some tweets that are going to allude to the fact that they are to Skylar. And so the first one is, there's so many times I wanted to punch you in the face throughout the last 24 hours. And then she says, drama queen, come along or go back home. Ooh. Yeah. Then she's going to retweet something that says, always keep your cool. Very smart. Yeah. (laughs) And that is on the day before the murders. Now, it it is said that Sheila was really upset about the disappearance. Like, she was trying to help out the family. She was inconsolable. But she's going to send out tweets like this. Dress down, dress game down to the sex game. So that seems like she's really upset about uh, just murdering her best friend. Then she's going to tweet, tired of leaving, losing sleep over this. And this is in between the time that she's being investigated and the time that she's actually arrested for the crimes that she commits after the story that Rachel is going to give. And it kind of just shows how much she really cares about everything that's going on. And it's also going to show people's reactions to her. Um, so she, her last tweet is actually, ugh, why? <laughs> And people seem to be going crazy with her on that one. She's just going to say things like, how am I supposed to concentrate on homework when SVU is on all day? When she is going to have to be pulled in for more police questioning on April 29, 2013, she sends a tweet saying, LOL, wow, today sucked so much dick. Great. great. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, Everyone complains about shitty shit that happens and I'm like lol try my life for a day maybe if you didn't murder your friend you would have to be dealing with this shit she then is going to tweet I will never ever give a single fuck about you ever again she tweets on April 28th 2013 like best friends aren't cunts to each other duh people again on April 28th she tweets it's so weird how people fight with their best friends like I never fight with mine On April 27th, she says, I don't miss things. I choose to throw them away. On April 24th, 2013, possibly alluding to um, Rachel's decisions, Sheila's going to say, I hate when people blame their own actions and choices on others. Deal with it. On April 23rd, she's going to tweet, well, time to do insanely overwhelming amount of homework with a smiling face with a gun to it. 
in which many people are going to comment that they gladly would. (laughs) And then from the times of January through March, she's going to talk about her going out, getting drunk, getting um, fast food meals, and she is showing no remorse whatsoever for anything that took place. Whereas with from Rachel, we see her kind of stop her social media activity altogether. But Sheila is definitely extremely, extremely active, complaining about homework, fighting with her mom, Um, saying things like, honestly, crying about your problems isn't going to make them any better. And she seems to have taken on a new group of friends, which seems to have allowed her to control them and be the top dog as well. Okay, and it seems that the day that Skylar is going, the the services for Skylar are going to take place. Sheila's going to tweet, the pain is real. And then she posts a picture of her and three pictures of Skylar. And it says, rest easy, Skylar. You'll always be my best friend. I miss you more than you could ever know. And that seems to have gotten the most responses. It has 901 comments and people are going crazy on what she said. She also tweets that it's the worst day of her life. But what's unusual is, like I had said before, when you go back to the days right after the murder took place, she continued tweeting like nothing had nothing had happened. And the last tweet that we're going to talk about from Sheila Eddy, which is, in my opinion, the most disturbing of them all, at 1.37 a.m. on April 1st, 2013, she says, we really did go on three. Oof. Oh, yeah. that's so insulting. Just no remorse whatsoever. And, and it's so weird. It's just so strange. It's very bizarre, and I think it... um goes on what the detectives are going to say is that for Sheila, this wasn't a we didn't like her thing. It was a thrill kill because this girl seems very self-absorbed, very self-absorbed, disturbed, and it's very apparent. And she likes to live her life on the edge, it seems like, Correct. as well. She likes to try and impress people. Yeah, she's a thrill seeker, a crazy yeah. thrill seeker. And... On the other hand, when we look at the Twitter account of Skylar Niece, the last tweet that she's going to put out is on July 5th, 2012. All I do is hope is her last tweet. And just before this, she is going to put something out there that says, you doing shit like this is why I will never completely trust you. Hmm. Yeah. It's so crazy to me. This whole story kind of like, it like hurts my heart. It does, because you can see her desperation in the rest of her tweets as well, because on July 4th, she's going to send out um, several tweets, and they're going to say, stress will be the death of me, sick of being at fucking home, thanks, friends, love hanging out with all of you too. So I guess they didn't invite her out for the 4th of July. It really doesn't take too much to piss me off. I wish I was capable of going to sleep at a decent time. But then she also talks about you know, good things with her family, like just silly things like shout out to my dad for getting me McDonald's. It does seem like her and her family did have a very close relationship, which again, just makes us so heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that, that, that Skylar had to die, you know, like it's, these people were just not functioning people. Like, I don't know. It, It really hurts my heart and my heart really goes out to the family. It really, really does. I mean, I'm not a parent, but I, I can't even begin to imagine how that must feel. One thing that I'm going to 
say that I found really interesting when I was going through some of Skylar Niece's tweets during the sentencing of the, and this is just something that's weird, and I know it's a coincidence, but I thought it was interesting. During the sentencing of Sheila, the judge is going to say that the sentence they give to her is actually um, the beginning of mercy. And on July 2nd, Skylar Neese says, and that's the beginning of mercy, is a tweet that she sends out. Wow. Yeah, and that can be found on YouTube, the the sentencing. of Because what's going to end up happening is Sheila and Rachel are both going to plead guilty. And because Rachel is going to tell police where Skylar's body is, and she's going to be the one who tells them the story she does get a lesser sentence. Rachel does get charged with second-degree murder, and she is, is facing 30 years in prison, which some people, especially Skylar's family, is going to think is not enough at all. I agree. That she's just as responsible as Sheila is for the murders. Absolutely. Because Sheila, pleading guilty, got charged with first-degree murder, and she... Um, was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Good. I completely agree. Good. And I hope that she spends the rest of her life thinking about what she did. Yeah, well, it seems like at her trial, Rachel is going to read a note, and she's going to express that she's remorseful and that she feels bad, and she does cry throughout the whole trial. Sheila does not seem remorseful, but she is crying. But I think that the crying of the two girls is definitely not for Skylar. I think it's more for themselves. Of course, because they know anything. their life's over now, basically. And their lives should be over the same way that they took someone else's life. Right. And now she she's never going to get married or have children or any other wonderful thing that you could look forward to, you know, when you get older, you know? Like, that was wiped away uh, from her. And it was also taken away from her parents. Correct. That's her only, that's, that, that was their only child. And you know what? I'm glad that the two of them are in jail right now. I really am. What we wanted to do is end with a clip that shows you the suffering that the Nice family has gone through throughout this um, whole search, investigation, and trial. And David Nice is going to be extremely vocal about how he feels about Sheila and Rachel taking the life of his daughter. And he's going to speak during Sheila's sentencing and Rachel's sentencing. And during Rachel's sentencing, he's going to say that it doesn't matter that Rachel showed them where his daughter's body was. And it doesn't matter that she's going to come clean. She only came clean because she knew she was caught. We want to let you listen to is just what David Neese is going to say at the sentencing of Sheila Eddy. Thank you, Lord. And again, sir, if you would just please identify yourself for the record, then you may speak. My name is David Neese, mom's father's father. Um, I'm here today with my wife, Mary. I'm speaking to you on, on behalf of my daughter because she can't be here. On July 6th, she made a decision to leave her house and go through a window and supposedly go with two friends, and I use that term. I'm sure you know what I mean. When we learned that she was missing, we immediately went to the Star City Police who couldn't do anything with us, so they uh, just listed her as a runaway. Since that date, my life, my wife's life has dressed. 
the drastically altered. We are no longer a family. The person sitting before you, Scott, our so-called friend, took her away from us without any remorse or feelings. You can look into the eyes of those who are responsible, but you can never hear what they heard as they were taking her life. You can see the faces of the killer, but you can't see Scott's face. You can never understand the fear that she must have had as they took a knife and ended her life. You cannot imagine the pain that Scott must have felt and the pain that Mary and I now feel. Your Honor, Scott is to be here today. As I've said, and as you've heard um, very painfully from Mr. Neese, the Neese family um, does continue to work and help families who have missing children or children who have been taken from them. So that's a positive thing that is coming from the situation, if you could even say it's positive at all. But it's very clear that this case is showing a new trend that's happening with teenagers today and the viciousness and how it's surrounded by social media and it it is it has changed since then schools do get involved with fights that occur on social media so that is a big change that took place so i think that as our social media changes and as things have started to develop like that we're starting to adapt to that. But it's something that's going to happen slowly, and there are going to be horrible things that happen, like, for instance, the case of Skylar Niece and, unfortunately, what happened to her. It's terrible, and I hope this never happens to anybody else and their family. It's it's heartbreaking. And to listen to, you know, Skylar's father talk in the courtroom, you know, it's it's hard. You know, it really it, – it takes a toll on you when you listen to it. You know, it's just, uh, you know, that's so pure emotion and and devastation in his voice. It's just, I have no words for it other than I'm really happy (laughs) that they're in jail and that they're basically in there for the rest of their lives. Right, Sheila's in there for life with no parole, but Rachel, that's a 30-year sentence, so hopefully that... You know, the next time, because she could possibly get out at the age of... 47. Well, Hopefully she's denied her parole. I hope she's denied her parole. They're horrible human beings and they should stay in there forever. I know. That's how I feel about it. Anyway. I completely <laughs> agree with you. Well, we hope that you enjoyed today's episode and we will be back next week. Please don't forget to send us your stories about anything paranormal, true crimey. Even if it didn't happen to you and it happened to someone else, we still would love for you to send us a story or get that person to send us the story. So that can be sent to truecrimecouple at gmail.com. Again, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website or our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash truecrimecouple. All right, guys, have a great week. Bye, guys.